Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Suffering and Healing These nine maxims on suffering come from Cornell Rumpel, clinical pastoral education director. He says, Suffering is not God's desire for us, but occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given in order to teach us something, but through it we learn. Suffering is not given to us to teach others something, but through it they may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but is sometimes the consequence of sinful acts or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. Suffering does not mean that God depends on it to achieve his purposes, but through it his purposes are sometimes achieved. Suffering is not always to be avoided at all costs, but is sometimes willingly endured for redemptive purposes. Suffering may either destroy us or contribute to significant meaning in life. The will of God has more to do with how we respond to life than with how life deals with us. Prayers for healing. I know what it feels like personally to wake up and everything feels better. I've seen the medicine work. I've seen connections with medical providers come together out of thin air where I didn't think there were any. I've seen the diagnosis change. I've seen the illness vanish. I've seen mobility return. I've seen doctors cheer because treatment worked or scratch their heads because they aren't sure how it worked, but the patient is better. And sometimes it all gets better. Sometimes life returns to normal. Sometimes, sometimes things stay the same. Sometimes we just keep on with the long, slow slog. I've also heard the doctor say, there's no cure. It can only be managed. And I've seen the medicine and the treatment fail. And I've struggled to find medical providers or the right diagnosis or answers or help. I've lived with acute conditions and chronic conditions that wear day after day. I know what it feels like to be told that Most likely, I have 48 hours to live. I know what it feels like when I find myself living through something I never imagined being a part of my life in my wildest dreams. I know what it feels like to breathe out a million times in a million different ways. God, make it stop. Make it go away. Make it better. Help us through. Oh God, oh God. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Help. I know those kinds of prayers. I know what the adrenaline of a crisis feels like and the exhaustion that follows. 
I know what it's like to dial 911, what the inside of an ambulance looks like, an emergency room, a hospital. I know what it's like to have more month left than money and wonder how we're going to make ends meet. I know what it feels like to lose hope, lose your cool, wonder if life will ever go back to normal. Can this be overcome? Is the summit of this mountain just unreachable? And I know what it's like to look into the dead faces of people who we've been praying would be healed, but now they're gone and dead. God has not only met me by turning life back to normal, even though that is one of the ways that I often pray and hope. God has also met me through y'all. So God's met me at Denny's and Starbucks and the Blue Heron as I've listened to your journey, those in my church family community, and as I've shared what it's like for me and received your care. God has met us in a church family that has recognized our need and sacrificially provided when we didn't know what we were going to do to make ends meet. God has met me in kind letters stuffed with cash. God has met me as I've sat out on the river with different ones, invited to learn how to catch a salmon when what we're really doing is sharing about our lives. God has met me through the ones who drop in regularly to give and receive updates. God's met me through the ones who have been there in a million different ways, patiently taking time with my children, being a, a friend and a support to my wife, being there in our crises. And God's met me through your smiles, through your believing me when I say what it's like. And yeah, there are things that I wanted to go away. There are things that I didn't want to experience and there are things that were healed and there are things that remain the same. Sometimes God has seemed a million miles away and sometimes so near that I could feel God's touch. Now I know I'm not alone in all of this experience. I know you've sat in the doctor's office and on the telephone and in the ambulance and on the side of the road and calling 911 and in your bed, chronic illness, therapy, physical therapy, oncology, hospice, at the graveside. You know what it feels like to be debilitated, incapacitated, lacking necessities, not knowing where you're going to turn, isolated, alone. And you've prayed for healing. You've seen answers sometimes. Resources have appeared sometimes, and you've probably experienced nothing changing. You've probably experienced pain and hardship and more illness and more loss and death. Which brings us to our scripture today. James says, Is anyone among you suffering misfortune? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you suffering debilitating illness, experiencing a personal incapacity or a lack of material necessities? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is suffering debilitating illness or experiencing personal incapacity or lack of material necessities. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The working prayer of a just and righteous person accomplishes much. Elijah was a human being who experienced similar feelings to our feelings. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, sidebar, before we really jump into this scripture, there's an important conversation about sin that's embedded in this text, and we really aren't going to touch it today. We're, we'll cover that next week. So if that's looming in your mind, just know we're leaving that aside. Scriptures like this scripture are personal for a lot of us. This is a passage of scripture that has caused problems for many people. The shattering of faith. Uh, people pray. They might anoint with oil. They pray again. They anoint again. Things don't get any better. Their loved one dies sometimes. And sometimes religious people add insult to injury by saying, basically, you're not doing it right. They basically say, you didn't have enough faith. They act like this much faith equals this much healing, which is so unrealistic and so damaging. But we have to ask, okay, so what is this prayer of faith that James is talking about? And what kinds of results are being promised. So remember, James begins this letter by saying that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And remember that to the average person on the street in the ancient world, 99% of people understood faith as a willingness to bind yourself to a group or a person. It was the you can count on me factor. So it's loyalty, it's allegiance, reliability, social concord, it's relationships. That comes from the, the chief translator of the New Living Translation, Nijay Gupta, Bible scholar. Um, endurance, you know, the, the testing of your faith, the testing of the you can count on me factor produces endurance. Endurance isn't the modern, individualized, Americanized endurance, like the Iron Man racer who can run 100 miles and leaves everyone in the dust, plows ahead. No, biblical endurance is remaining behind. So it's going back for the one who has fallen down. It's working through it together maybe carrying them for a while, doing whatever it takes to finish the journey together. 
This is biblical endurance. So James is saying, let endurance have its perfect result so that y'all will be mature and complete, lacking no one. That's the very beginning of the letter. The prayer of faith isn't just this prayer of like personal choice or believing the right things. It's communal, communal identity. It's why in 108 verses, James uses y'all language like nearly 80 times. Because trials aren't something that you face. They are something that we face. We get through them together so that we, we end that journey lacking no one. Now, numerous historians and sociologists have credited the way that followers of Jesus cared for the sick and the poor and the needy as the major reason that the, the Christian movement that began with 120 Christians in the book of Acts in three centuries it grew to between five and seven million Christians. That's a growth rate of like 40% per decade. And they look at that and say it was their care for the sick and the poor and the needy. Christians did something in healthcare that no one else in their world was doing at the time, and it made a massive difference. The Roman world didn't treat all human life with value. Weakness was not always honored. Society was known to look the other way when it came to human suffering and need. And so in a world that did not understand bacteria and viruses, ancient writers report things like this. Uh, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away. They fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead. They treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping to avert the spread and the contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Uh, especially women and children were highly vulnerable. Archaeological digs of ancient sewers have unearthed sewer pipes clogged with the bones of babies. For the most part in Greco-Roman cities, sewers were open ditches, not pipes. A lot of them were open ditches, these trenches running down the middle of the road where chamber pots were emptied and tossed and corpses were pushed into the trenches, just left to decompose in the slop and these open sewers running down the middle of the roads. There were religious hucksters at the time, always looking to make a buck. And of course, the way you make a buck is you promise healing of one sort or another to people who are sick. Uh, and of course, when the epidemics started raging, like there's this plague of Galen, uh, the, the hucksters fled. But in the history of epidemics in the ancient world, time and time again, the Christians were the ones who were moving to care for the sick and the vulnerable when everyone else was fleeing. They were the ones who were burying the dead. They were the ones loving and sacrificing themselves, making a difference in individual lives. 
making a difference in survival rates in a world where sickness and poverty resulted in isolation and alienation christianity grew by that 40 percent each decade for the first three centuries largely because of how christians were responding to the sick and the poor and the vulnerable so we have this line that james writes let them call for the elders of the church this is a picture of sick people vulnerable people being encouraged and empowered to call for the leaders of the community which is revolutionary in the midst of a society that uh, isolates alienates those who might be suffering and sick because uh, if a sick person receives the community leaders and teachers it means it's not just like well we just sent those people it means they have the entire community rallying around them giving them support solidarity breaking this power of isolation alienation shame it means you are not alone in your suffering say well why what's the deal with the oil is it snake oil what's what's going on oil was widely used as medicine within the ancient world uh, for instance the famous physician galen uh, says that the oil was best of all remedies for paralysis uh, he's considered the father of anatomy sometimes some people would say the father of medicine that's probably debated um, but just showing oil was a common medicinal thing uh, when king herod the great became sick his physicians immersed him in a bath of hot oil jesus when he's telling the story of the good samaritan luke 10 34 depicts this samaritan treating the victim's wounds with oil so this was one of the ancient remedies uh, other remedies were harder possibly to access olive oil was much more widely available additionally the people of israel had a long history of using anointing oil to mark the beginning of someone becoming royalty a king a queen uh, is this reminder of god's presence so are you getting the picture yet those who were the most vulnerable, the most incapacitated, the most needy, were invited not to hide away in isolation, alienation, suffering, shame. They're invited to share their need with this community of solidarity, this community with this really strong, you can count on me factor. And they remain behind with one another. And the leaders and the teachers of the community lead the community community not only in prayer but in what james calls a working prayer that accomplishes much so it's the community saying we are here with you we're co-suffering with you and it's a prayer that includes hands reaching across the distance across the loneliness the suffering the pain they're they're applying the oil they're doing what can be done offering the medical treatment that is widely available in the day 
they're treating this person like royalty, like a king, like a queen. It's this reminder of God's presence with them in the midst of a devastating experience. And within their prayer, there's this space to see how else God's saving work might show up. So do you see what this working prayer of faith is? It's this whole community of solidarity rallying behind someone, doing everything they can, saying, we're not going to leave you behind. Whatever this journey is, we're going to walk it with you. We're going to give you our best care. Now, that historical cultural information may or may not help, because if you've ever been at the bedside of a dying loved one, what you really care about is, well, are they going to get any better? Like, what are the results going to be of our prayers? So James says, the prayer offered in faith will save the person, the one who's suffering debilitating illness, experiencing personal incapacity, lack of material necessities, and the Lord will raise them up. So save, uh, the Greek word is sozo. Why? Why save? The word the New Testament uses most often to describe like healing and medicine. Uh, why not a word like therapeuo uh, shows up 43 times or a word like iomai uh, to heal shows up 26 times. James doesn't use those words. He chooses words that seem to be deliberately more open. He says that the sick person will be saved. And that word, yeah, it can mean being rescued from natural danger, kept from harm, thriving, made well. It can also mean being rescued from transcendent danger, from ultimate destruction. And the language of being raised up is additionally open. Sure, it could refer to them getting up out of bed and going for a walk on the beach, heading to work on Monday. Could refer to them dying and receiving the resurrection promise of a new body in the new heaven and earth. This is in keeping with the story of scripture and human history. There are incredible stories of healing and the mortality rate in human history so far is 100%. Everyone dies. All of the humans in the Bible who did experience healing and who were able to heal others, it seems like they also experienced their prayers for healing and saving not happening. They experienced prayers not being answered as well. It simply is never true that this much faith equals this much healing. Like Elisha, who could heal other people of leprosy, he suffers from a long illness and dies. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he prays for other people and they're healed, lots of them, but he can't heal his own friends, Timothy or Trophimus, and ultimately he ends up living with his own chronic illness. Jesus, who rescues many people from death, prays to be saved from the cross, but is not initially saved from the cross. But on the other hand, 
this doesn't mean we give up praying. So it's a vulnerable experience praying this kind of a prayer. We're invited to trust God and join God in working in the face of suffering. James says that the working prayer of a just and righteous person accomplishes much. And then he goes on to reference this story of Elijah. And he says that Elijah experienced similar feelings to what we experience. So just a quick bullet point of Elijah's experience to kind of capture, wait, what did that guy even go through? Well, it was a civil war uh, among the tribes of Israel at the time. There were all kinds of factions. Each king that came along was more harmful, more destructive, more evil than the last one. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel at the time were worshiping Baal, the Canaanite god of lightning and storms and fertility. It was like this showdown between the gods, because on the other side you had the god of Israel, Yahweh. And Elijah comes along and says, guys, it's not, he says to King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, it's not going to rain for, for years. And so the entire community is now experiencing a famine and people are starving and dying of hunger and thirst. And uh, Elijah's living with this poor widow. Her son becomes ill and dies. And Elijah prays and her son is brought back from the dead. It's incredible. And King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are killing people who believe in Yahweh, who are following Yahweh. And God finally says to Elijah, all right, it's time. It's going to rain. And Elijah runs into this guy, Obadiah, who tells Elijah, you are not alone. There are like a hundred prophets hiding out in caves. You're not alone. And Elijah heads into this showdown with King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And it's interesting. He's in the middle of this showdown and he's saying, uh, I'm the only one left. I'm, I'm all alone. And so they, they head into this showdown where fire or lightning comes down from heaven. It's like Yahweh's proving, no, I'm the God of lightning, not Baal. And so then Elijah takes it upon himself to kill all the prophets of Baal. God didn't tell him to. He just does it. And then Elijah tells King Ahab the rain is coming. And so then he starts praying and he prays and he looks and he prays and he looks and he prays and he looks and the rain finally comes. And so Elijah runs faster than Ahab's chariots all the way home. And then, like the very next day, Queen Jezebel hears about Elijah killed all her prophets. And she's like, I'm going to kill Elijah. And Elijah, who ran all the way home, is now running away in fear, shame, exhaustion, depression, loneliness. And he's alone out there in the desert saying over and over, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. It's what he's been saying from the beginning. And so... God comes and cares for Elijah in many ways, you know, lets him sleep, gives him food, water, and then comes in this still small voice asking, what are you doing here? 
And Elijah keeps coming back, basically saying, I killed a bunch of guys, like referencing his zealous, violent actions. It's like he's obviously carrying the weight of, uh, like, I know I've been a part of bringing people back to life and ending their life. And I'm the only one left. He keeps saying it. And God's message is, no, you're not. There are 7,000 other people who have been praying too. Go connect with them. Like They've been suffering. They've been living through the same famine that you've been living through, except they haven't understood it. They, Their loved ones have been dying of hunger and thirst, and they've been praying for rain too. You're not the only one praying for rain. They've been more in the dark then you've been in the dark, and you're not the only one. There are hundreds of others, thousands of others, praying just like you are, suffering just like you are, hoping that God will do something. Go connect with them. And so out of this entire Elijah story, why is James choosing the rain, the, the rain moment? Why not the resurrecting the boy or the fire from heaven? And how is this story, how's like, James says Elijah is like us. He's ordinary. Uh, Like when we're praying for healing and help, Elijah's like us. So how is that? Well, our world is screwed up too. Quick fixes are few and far between. It's kind of a long, slow slog. We're caught between warring factions human conflicts, principalities and powers, like battling it out. And so there we are. We pray our hearts out. We wait, we pray, we wait, we look, we pray. And we tend to act like it all depends on us, even in the way we pray and in the way we live, both. We're acting like it all depends on us. And there are some mountaintop moments. There are moments where we run faster than chariots, We experience God being stronger than whatever we're facing. And we tend to take things into our own hands and do regrettable things and make things worse. And we're plagued by our own actions. So there are days when we aren't running in victory. We're running into hiding and depression and fear and exhaustion, loneliness, shame. And in the midst of it, God is saying, you aren't the only one. You're not alone. There are so many other people who are suffering and praying and working through this. The the working prayer of a just and righteous person accomplishes much. The testing of our faith produces endurance. The you-can-count-on-me factor produces remaining behind with others. So often... We just want everything to go back to normal. We want it to go back to the way it used to be. But the emphasis in this scripture isn't really on the healing. The emphasis that that James is bringing is on the prayer. It's mentioned eight different times. Pray in the midst of misfortune. Pray when you're cheerful. That's that Psalms language. Sing your prayers. Pray in community when you're suffering. Modern science and Western medical research continue to find mounting evidence that 
there's this positive association between health and longevity and people who are a part of a community, a spiritual community that prays together for healing, saving, rescuing work as they roll up their sleeves to care for one another and do what they can. For instance, there's a study from the National Institutes of Health indicates that consistent spiritual practice affects positively immune function, hormones, psychological function, prevents social isolation, increases healthy behaviors. So, so the question is, all right, what, what's going to happen in the midst of our working prayers of faith? What's going to happen as we treat the sick and suffering among us like queens and kings? The answer, who knows? We do our part, and then we leave plenty of room for God. We pray, and we pray not just acting like we have to strong-arm God or convince God, but because we trust that every good and perfect gift is from above. And God shows up in a diversity of healing, saving, rescuing ways. Sometimes the tumors shrink and the blood vessels open up and the nerves heal and the hearts pump and the lungs breathe and the eyes see and the ears hear and the miracles happen. And other times we learn to cope with what is with a community of support. Memories are healed. New meaning is found. Love is experienced. Solidarity, friendship, resources are discovered as we journey together. And all of this is the saving work of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not that God causes all of these hard things. It's not that God is deliberately sending punishment or suffering because God's always on the side of release and reconciliation and healing. But when the Tylenol works, every good and perfect gift is from above. And when people walk the long, painful road with me, that I really didn't want to walk, but they are there with me, remaining with me. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I close with Fred Pratt Green's hymn, O Christ the Healer, We Have Come. O Christ the Healer, we have come to pray for health, to plead for friends. How can we fail to be restored when reached by love that never ends? From every ailment flesh endures, our bodies clamor to be freed. Yet in our hearts we would confess that wholeness is our deepest need. In conflicts that destroy our health, we recognize the world's disease. Our common life declares our ills. Is there no cure, O Christ, for these? Grant that we all, made one in faith, in your community may find the wholeness that, enriching us, shall reach the whole of human.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.